Welcome to the Fitness FAQs podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Vadnell, Australian physiotherapist and calisthenics expert. Sasha Bachman comes from a family of excellence. His grandfather was one of the great gymnasts of his era. Sasha Bachman has dedicated his life to performing hand balancing and aerial straps at circus shows worldwide. Coach Bachman will teach you what matters most about all things handstands and calisthenics. How did your journey into the world of hand balancing begin? Funny story, like one of the things that I was the worst at doing gymnastics was handstands. Like everybody in, in like everybody in Germany could hold a one minute handstand easily. I couldn't, like I could not even hold five, six seconds. Like I, I started training gymnastics at a high level when I was five. I think I learned, I held my first proper handstand at like maybe like age 13 or 14, like it still sounds young to anybody hearing this, but you got to keep in mind, I was training like twice a day, six hours a day for like six, seven years. Like it's, it just really shows that I like, I just didn't want to do it. I didn't care for it. I didn't like it. And I was a stubborn child. I still am stubborn now. So if I don't want to do something, I don't want to do it. Um, anyhow, I, I got dropped off at this like circus school in Canada at the end when I was 15. I started school there. And being a minor in a different continent, I had to live in the residence at circus school, kind of like the dormitory. And it was the first year that they actually had a dormitory. So they were trying to figure things out. It was a beautiful, newly built school building and a newly built dormitory building, two floors, maybe six rooms per floor, tiny. And they had this genius idea of connecting the dormitory with a tunnel to the school. So those kids who are not 18 or 21 yet don't have to leave throughout the week. What a genius idea. And I was the only kid under 18 there. No, there was two other kids. So it was not a lot of us, but, you know, so I was there 24-7 looking for something to train. Knew I wanted to, looking for something to do. Came to Montreal to, to become a circus performer. So I came there. I really came to the city to train. Um, okay, what can I train as a 15-year-old all day by myself? That was juggling and hand balancing. And, I mean, it was clear to me that girls are not going to like a juggler. So hand balancing it was. And then I just started training handstands like literally six hours a day for six days a week for five years. And that did the trick. When it comes to the handstand specifically, what are the small details that you teach essentially everyone? I mean, everyone, first of all, everybody knows what a handstand looks like. So pretty much everybody has an idea on how to do handstands. I think the main things that really get lost when it comes to learning to handstand is that um, the two main things is really that your shoulders, they don't have to be just in an open line. They have to be as tall as possible. And this open line, this like 180 degree angle in the shoulders, basically is not even that important. Looking at professional hand balancers, there's plenty of people who do one arm hands in an outstanding performances who don't have their shoulders open, but they have their scapula very elevated. So I would say this is the first main detail to look at. But again, not just to help you to push from the shoulders, but to actually explain to the people, but then also to the athlete, to his case or her case in, in particular, why this person has to push out tall. Why for the, in this specific case, it's important to elevate the scapula. This being the first main thing. And the second main thing, I think there's a big misunderstanding um, of how your handstand should actually feel. Like a lot of people are kind of looking for this golden point of balance where your handstand becomes sort of weightless and comfortable. But it shouldn't, well, it can't really ever be that, right? Like in order to actually have control, control in your handstand, you need to lean into your fingertips. You actually need to load your hands with weight. Um, taking the example of, well, taking the example of you waiting for the bus or like listening to like these long speeches at school of your director or something, um, you're going to stand there and eventually you're going to catch yourself kind of like shifting around, leaning a little bit into the heels. So your ankles don't get so tired, right? Um, but as soon as you're leaning into the heels and like the dude next to you is playing a prank and like pulls your backpack down a little bit, you're like, you're laying on the floor. You have zero control. You cannot do anything. Um, but say you're at the gym and you're throwing like a medicine ball against the wall or somebody's throwing it at you, you're leaning into your toes because you want to go. That's where you actually have control. As soon as your toes are not floor heavy, um, you're balancing with your entire body instead of controlling. And it's exactly the same thing in your handstand. You need to bring your shoulders and move this your entire body line on top of the center of your hands so you can load your fingertips and actually have control of your handstand to actually be able to react and to make adjustments to your position. But also if you wanted to switch from one position to another, there's tension that travels through your body 
and you can only absorb and um, direct this tension if you actually have weight in your fingertips. Why is the internet obsessed with the perfect handstand line? The internet doesn't know, well, straight up anything about handstands. But everybody wants to be, everybody wants to do handstands. Everybody wants to be good at it. And everybody wants to teach handstands because it's a big trend. Obviously, it comes from yoga, from CrossFit, from calisthenics. Everybody kind of like, it's a good thing to be able to teach. But um, I'm realizing more and more than even many people who say they teach handstands or people who do handstands very well don't necessarily understand um, how to do handstands, why handstands work, and why handstands for some people don't work. So it's a very easy thing to just say, you got to straighten out your hands through your shoulders. Because it's when you look at the good and the bad handstand, that's the obvious thing that you see. The guy who's able to hold a handstand has a straight line. The guy who often can't hold a handstand doesn't have a straight line. So the only thing that we understand is that's the difference. So let's all strive for that. That's the only thing we understand. So let's say that is the solution. And in a way, it's not wrong, right? If you get a straight line into your shoulders, your entire body is going to straighten out. You're going to get control and your handstand is going to significantly improve. So let's say we go back to like, I don't know, like the ancient days, you know, when they're like dancing around the fire. Um, if they, if you have a group of people who are randomly doing handstands and a group of people that's going to try to get a straight line handstand, the straight line handstand group is obviously going to be significantly more successful with their handstand. Um, what they don't realize is that they didn't achieve a straight line by just blindly opening the shoulders, but hopefully by elevating the scapula. Um, Probably the ones who will succeed in the long run will be the ones that elevate their scapula without even knowing it because they didn't get injured. Because if you're just, if you're standing for a long time, you're just opening your shoulders, you're going to hurt your shoulders, you're going to hurt your back, your wrist, something's going to get hurt. So the ones that come out victorious at the end, they have a straight line, yes. And possibly, probably without knowing it, they are pushing out tall. Can you further explain why it is so important to push tall through the shoulders? I mean, you're a PT, you've you studied physio, so you're going to be able to explain this significantly better than me because I keep on forgetting the name of the specific little thingy things in the shoulder. But basically, when you're depressed, like your, your shoulder is a ball and a socket joint. So when your shoulder is depressed, when your shoulder is, is, um, where is it? down, away from your ear, you're standing on this little bone that's called the acromion, right? Yeah, it's the humeral head is jamming on that at the top. Exactly. You're jamming on this little bone that's standing out. Handstands is a non-dynamic force. You're not going to break it. You're not going to rip it, but you're going to bruise it. Let's say you know how training works. You do your squats. The next day you're sore. You're like, yeah, I did good squats. I'm building muscles. And now you're going to go train handstands. And you train handstands with bad form. You're standing on your little thingy thing there. Um, the next day you wake up and your shoulders are sore. And you're like, you know what? I did it. And I'm going to do it again because my shoulders are getting sore and I'm getting stronger. But your shoulders are not sore in a way that you're getting stronger because your muscle is damaged and healing again. Your shoulder is sore because you bruised your shoulder joint, that little piece there. By elevating the scapula, by pushing out tall, by bringing your shoulders up to your ears, um, your shoulder rotates the, um, what do we call it in English? The humeral head. So you've got the scapula and, and the humerus. So you get that scapular humeral rhythm. So it gets full overhead motion. You're using active muscular effort of your rotator cuff, upper trapezius to support the structure overhead. Exactly. Instead of standing just on the bone, you stand on the muscles. So now you're actually using the muscles and you're protecting yourself. So you're actually able to train without getting injured. Now, getting all the way up there is difficult for everyone at first. Um, it requires some mobility, of course. Um, it requires less mobility than most people think. Everybody says, uses the mobility as an excuse why they can't open their shoulders or push out tall. Um, yes, the mobility is an excuse why you cannot open your shoulders. But pushing out tall is much more possible even if you don't have the mobility. Then, of course, you do need strength. I mean, no matter how much you weigh, you need to push all of that weight up with your shoulders. So pure strength. And then very much coordination, very specific coordination that you don't really use much anywhere else, Right. So it requires quite a bit of training. Most of the guys, and I'm saying guys because most of the guys do struggle with that much more, um, who train with me twice a week, within 10 to 12 weeks can see significant differences in their shoulders. And they don't have to do much static stretching. It's very much um, the activation exercises that are all over my Instagram, basically, um, 
um, this will basically divide the training in two parts. During the warm up, you'll take like 10 minutes ish to maybe do two times 30 seconds, three times 30 seconds passive stretches, and then lots of activation coordination work for the scapular elevation, this Henson specific scapular elevation. And then when you train, your training is going to surround around handstand exercises that help with the scapular elevation. You do those exercises as your handstand training because really no other handstand exercises are going to make so much sense at this point. So those exercises already will help. Plus, every time you do these exercises, you really actively focus on your shoulder position. Shoulder position in relation to the hands, but also scapular elevation. That's perfect. The combination of stretching prior and then the specific strengthening work in handstand seems like the perfect recipe. Yeah, um, a lot of people do like to include passive stretches in between their handstand sets. Um, I think super common practice that everybody knows of. It does seem to bring good results to stretch it open right before you get up into a handstand. Um, I personally like to be a bit more careful about it because well, you're, when you're stretching, you are making your joint more flexible and with this more open to injuries. Again, your handstand load is not dynamic, but you need to somehow get up onto the wall and back down. So theoretically, if you really go hard with stretches between every handstand set, you could raise your risk of injuries drastically, but it might not even actually help you that much more. Because again, we're not just trying to increase flexibility. We're really trying to increase specific coordination and specific strength. For sure. And oftentimes, if you do aggressive stretching prior to balance, because you've opened up this temporary new range of motion, your body's not quite familiar or comfortable with holding that position. So sometimes it can make Absolutely. people struggle with balance. Yeah. Can you explain the importance of using a wall for handstands from beginner, intermediate to advanced levels? Beginner. Absolutely no reason to train anywhere but with the wall. Because the thing is that like learning handstands, it's a, it's what's, well, it's kind of a funny thing. Like I like, I like to compare it to juggling. Um, when I joined the circus school in Montreal, obviously I had to learn to juggle. We had to learn everything. I was the cutest little juggler in the world. And I was good at juggling too. But the thing is, when you first learn to juggle, you're not training juggling. You're throwing something in the air. It drops to the floor and you're picking it up. So really you're doing deadlifts and biceps curls. Now in your handstands, it's exactly the same thing. If you're not really good at handstands and you're training handstands without the wall, you're practicing, well, jumping up and literally falling down. So let's say we have this, this guy who's not good at handstands and he's training handstands without the wall. He would need to improve his alignment, his balance, but also his joint resistance, his muscle strength and everything. Now we all know if you want to actually create a training program, you need to systematically slowly overload your body. Today you're going to do 10 pull-ups. Next week you do 15. The week after you do 20 pull-ups. But if every handstand or let's say four or five handstands are a complete loss, um, you cannot actually measure your, your training volume, your intensity, because every session is completely different. Every session just, literally just depends on your luck. So it's impossible to actually get better. So instead, you're going to go train at the wall, chest to wall, where every single handstand is intensity-wise on your muscles and joints a success. So at least now you know today I can do 10 handstands, after tomorrow 15, etc. You can build up your practice like this. That's already a huge success compared to those guys back in the days dancing around the fire who didn't understand that they need to build their body slowly. So we already have a massive advantage here. Now at the wall, you can do a lot of things. You can We take balance out of the equation. We take the stress away, this fear of constant falling down, and we can actually focus on every single aspect of the handstand. Are your elbows locked when your hand bound? Are your shoulders elevated? Are your shoulders on top of the center of the hands or on top of the wrists or on top of the fingertips? Where are they? How does your core feel? You can work on leg isolation, uh, leg movements to build up this coordination. It might sound funny. You think like, yeah, of course I can move one leg to the side. Once you're upside down, it's really not that easy anymore. So that's all stuff that you can simply build at the wall without danger, um, without a spotter, and with success because it will definitely work. There's no chance here. You just need to actually check it off the list. Now, that's the first thing. Then the second thing, um, the handstand hold itself is quite easy. The difficult thing about the freestanding handstand is getting into the handstand. You have a position that you're not necessarily comfortable with, with when you're learning to handstand, but you have a dynamic movement that goes into this position. Picture yourself um, standing on a chair, even maybe you're rotating like an office chair. Standing on a chair is possible. Jumping onto the chair, it is a nightmare idea. 
But now in your handstand, it's the same thing. Standing in a handstand is possible. Jumping into the handstand, very difficult. Significantly more difficult than holding the handstand. And it's absolutely not fair for a beginner. It just makes no sense, right? I don't know who invented handstands, but this doesn't fly. So instead, what we do is we go to the wall, but we go close to the wall, chest to wall. And we do different exercises to take the weight off the wall. We basically want to get overly good at doing this freestanding handstand close to the wall, meaning we cut out the entry to the handstand. We cut out this dynamic movement to get into the handstand position. Maybe we're going to learn to take both feet off the wall, open into a small straddle and close back together. So we get overly comfortable in this chest wall handstand. Of course, it doesn't look as cool. If you're training at Planet Fitness and you're only training hands at the wall for six months and you're getting really good at hands at the wall, well, this guy who's doing like one out of ten hands in the center of the room, he's still going to look cooler than you. Um, but you're stronger, you're better aligned. And once you take this final step to combine this overly comfortable hands at the wall with a somewhat not so great mount, you're going to look way cooler than the guy in the middle because you can actually control it. So that's the path for a beginner. Why should a beginner train at the wall? Because training without the wall makes absolutely no sense. And it's super important that everybody understands this and doesn't get frustrated with it. Then getting to someone who's intermediate, why would someone who's intermediate train at the wall? I think the first question here is, what is an intermediate hand balancer? I would say it's somebody who's able to hold their handstand kind of most of the time. It's definitely not training for one-arm handstands yet. That's somebody who's fairly advanced. Um, it's someone who wants to learn movements for example from straight to straddle to back together um do the tuck handstand maybe single leg isolations um things that well handstand push-ups presses to handstand all these things they basically require you to have more control in your handstand why would you train with the wall number one maybe because you're scared or because your mounds are still not 10 out of 10 your mounds are still inconsistent you can either invest a lot of time into training your mounds or you can return to the wall, get even more better at the wall. So then your mounts don't really matter that much anymore because you can catch every single handstand. By mount, you mean kick up to handstand, right? Kick up to a handstand, a tuck up to a handstand, a straddle jump to a handstand, any kind of mount into the handstand. If your handstands are really good, they don't matter at all. So investing a lot of time into perfecting your kick up to a handstand because your freestanding handstand balance is not so good, is kind of a waste of time. Another good reason why somebody who is intermediate would train at the wall is because the wall is very unforgiving. Let's say, for example, you're standing with your legs together in a straight handstand and you want to open one leg out to the straddle and back two together. But what happens a lot is that, for example, while you're opening this leg, you're going to A, forget about your shoulders, meaning you're sinking into your shoulders and your back arches because you're starting to focus on your legs. Or instead of this leg really coming out into a straddle into like a middle split position, you're bringing it out a lot into a pancake position, meaning you're piking a lot. Both things are going to make your handstand more difficult. You're going to lose balance. You're going to invest extra strength. It becomes undesirable. Freestanding, this will still work. You're going to bend your elbows. You're going to wiggle a lot, but you can make this work. If you go back to the wall, chest to the wall, close to the wall, say you're about as far away as your forearm is long. So fairly close to the wall. If you now open your leg, if you sink into your shoulder and your back arches, your ribs are going to touch the wall. If you start to, as soon as you start to pike, your foot touches the wall. If you have someone spotting you, they're going to let you get away with this. You sink in a little bit. Now nah, it's fine. I got you. You pike me a little bit. Hey, you're going to tap the leg. Hey, you're piking. Don't pike. The wall, on the other hand, the wall don't care for you. The wall is like my, uh, my Russian coach from circus school. Oh, you pike. He's bad. Go down. You know, like the wall tells <laughs> you straight away. Yeah. With this, the wall is quite outstanding. For someone who's advanced hand balancing, personally, I don't see much reason to practice at the wall. Someone who's advanced, that means that you're training one-arm handstands. If you're good enough to really train one-arm handstands to get the one-arm handstand eventually, there's no point for you to train one-arm handstands at the wall. You might train deep side bends, so in a full straddle trying to touch the floor with the foot. That's something you can train at the wall because you need to build a lot of coordination and strength. Or certain block drills on handstand blocks when you walk down to the floor and back up or across laterally um, on the blocks, you would do this at the end of your workout for conditioning simply to stay up for as long as possible with decent form. Um, but besides that, someone who's really advanced in handstands, there's not much here at the wall. I mean, some conditioning, but not much. That was a absolutely world-class explanation for why people should be using a wall for handstands. 
And the key thing I take from that coach is the success rate. And it feel like with the wall, you can actually independently develop the balance without losing success with, with the mount as you described. Yeah. It's just less frustrating because you're not going to, every single time you go into the gym, you know exactly you're going to do your 40 minutes on your hands and not 40 tries. And that's maybe 13 hands or maybe 35. Right. And if we compare 13 times 10 seconds to 35 times 10 seconds, like that's such a massive difference in training volume that theoretically nobody can cope with this when it comes to recovery and building muscle. It just doesn't make any sense. What's the difference when it comes to handstand balance training versus traditional resistance strength training? Oh boy. Um, I mean, I would almost go as far as say it has nothing to do with each other. Like surprisingly little, right? I mean, it's still two physical things, right? I would say that calisthenics training, like artistic gymnastics is very much, if you take all the acrobatic stuff out of it, it's kind of the middle of it, right? Um, artistic gymnastics combines the, uh, the technical details of hand balancing and this like constant, I would call it rehearsing and not even training because it's really just doing things over and over again to like really get them into your body. And it combines this with like, the strength aspect of like you do your four sets of eight to 12 reps and then you don't touch this muscle for three days, this and this. Gymnastics unites the two in the middle, but kind of hand balancing is everything that I would say strength training is not in an extent. Taking, for example, the idea of a workout split. When I was training handstands six days a week, I would have a certain split when it came to handstands, but not that I would just train handstands Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. It would be that I would do all of my technical training every single day, six days a week, every single trick. And then just when it came to conditioning, there I would try to separate. But it doesn't work at the same time. Like you could say, okay, on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, I'm going to do bent arms, so handstand push-ups, um, 90-degree push-up, et cetera, et cetera. And then on Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, I'll do straight arms. So for example, my one-arm presses, planches, and this and this. But it doesn't make any sense because... The handstand push-up and the planche is both anterior, pelvic, um, anterior deltoid heavy, so you still don't get any rest from it. What's important to, to understand is that when it comes to hand balancing, it's not strength training at all. If you're bad at it, if you're learning how to hand balance, absolutely, it requires big amounts of strength and you have to give your body time to rest. As long as your form is not outstanding, your body works so very hard and it's going to get sore and it needs rest. Once your form is outstanding, all of this muscle that you've created during this rest period between your workouts, because your form is so good that you don't fall into these bad positions. If you learned handstands with these days off in between with bad form, et cetera, et cetera, you have all this extra muscle that became unnecessary. The cool thing is now if you fall out of your position, you're actually able to catch yourself and push back into your position. On two hands, on one hand, doesn't matter. This will allow you to look more professional in front of people. Um, but it will also help you protect yourself from injuries. Because if let's let's imagine we have a person that walks into the room, has never been upside down, and is just able to one-arm handstand. First of all, their wrists, their shoulders, everything is going to cry out. Um, but imagine also even that would work. The moment that this person would lose balance, the elbow bends, um, the back arches, these kind of things, it would be even more, and then especially very unhealthy pressure on the body, and you would get injured. Because you had to take these five years of useless training in bad positions, you have the muscles to catch yourself, to support yourself in a bad position, and you're not going to get injured. So whilst on the first look, it feels useless to do this extra training, in the long run, it's necessary. More so from the perspective of people that have perhaps done resistance training before with the certain mindset that's required when they go into a workout, uh, there needs to be a certain level of intensity, discomfort, and volume of work. Is there any differences with hand balancing with your intensity and workload? It's funny that you, 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 that you asked this because somebody asked me the same thing the other day. Why do my workouts and handstands never say intensity? Um, I bought a program of fitness FAQ and there it gives you intensity for every single exercise. And I was like, I don't know. I never thought about it. It's a handstand. Go and do your best. And this brought me to thinking that if somebody comes from like a gymnastics or a dance or something like this background, they wouldn't ask this question, but somebody who comes from a really a strength training background, like you right now, for example, would ask this question, what's the intensity for the set? With handstands, it's really, it's technical training. So every single exercise you're going to do, you're going to do 
with full intensity, but we're not doing handstand push-ups. We're doing resisting static positions where the legs move. So it's not completely static. Um, it is a hundred percent intensity. You want to push as hard as you possibly can in that particular moment, basically, because you want to do it as good as possible, but then you're going to rest until you feel good to go again. Um, how long do you have to rest between handstand exercises? Again, it's a difficult question to ask. Um, you want to rest for as long as you need to get your heart rate back down to feel ready to, to again push fully. But you want to rest short enough that not just you physically stay warm, but especially your feeling for, for balance and for alignment that that also stays warm because it's something that you also have to warm up. Um, as an example, if you, if you skateboard, I assume I have now skateboarded, but if you skateboard and you haven't skateboarded in a very long time, the first time you stand on the board, you're going to feel a little bit weird, but then 10 minutes into standing on the board, you start to feel better again, like you used to. Same thing for handstands. So if you rest for too long between reps, this feeling starts to leave your body and your next rep set is not going to be as good as it could be. But if you don't rest long enough, you still have this pump in the forearms, the pump, um, and you're also going to be in trouble. So it's very much, you need to learn for yourself how long you have to rest in between, between exercises, but intensity is, is going to be full on. It's going to be there. Given the high skill component of handstands, I imagine the same thing applies to your frequency of training. If you don't do it enough between sessions, you might not be as technically proficient at your handstand for people that want to do the minimum amount required each week to see progress what would you recommend as far as how often to practice handstand i think that the more you put in the faster assuming you're able to recover fast enough the more you put in the more you get out it's very simple like this with handstands um i see great success i see really really great improvements um with athletes who train three times a week, 30 to 45 minutes. Outstanding, like especially at a beginner level. When it comes to one-arm handstands, very different question. But when it comes to learning a wall handstand, it's especially taking the handstand off the wall, three times a week, 30 to 45 minutes focus training, usually enough. Five times a week, 10 minutes can also do significant changes, right? If you go to the gym every day anyways, if you're training calisthenics every day, if you're doing yoga every day, if you're doing weights every single day, what's going to stop you from investing 10, 15 minutes at the beginning of your workout into handstands? course not at the end when your body is all stiff and done but right at the beginning as long as you're focused on those sets in three months you'll see significant changes for someone that's a complete beginner never done a handstand before in their life what is the average time you see people able to achieve a freestanding handstand consistently impossible to say really really difficult i mean it becomes it, it it's about so many different things mobility strength overall body coordination and awareness like if you take a figure skater right they've never done a handstand before but they're flexible they're super coordinated and they're going to learn a handstand possibly within two three trainings if you're going to take a power lifter the strong man never done a handstand before some of them are very flexible but usually their wrists and the elbows are not flexible enough to even straighten or to put weight on it's going to take them forever because they're ultra strong, but in a very linear way so it just it really depends again three months would give you an idea of how fast you'll progress if you train focused. But another problem with Hanson is also often that everything's going great and then you're going to hit a plateau and it's really going to feel like a plateau to you that for a couple months, nothing happens. And it's very easy to lose motivation and interest because if you're working hard, but nothing's moving, obviously you're going to lose interest. But often these plateaus just feel like a plateau to you because you see what you do every single day. But if I see you or if you would actually film yourself once a week or once a month for these three months, you're going to realize, wait a minute, I've made significant changes. It's just I cannot see them because every day is just 0.5% better. 0.5% is nothing you can see, but that's 5% in 10 days. And that's the difference that you can see. So saying how long it's going to take someone to learn a freestanding hands from zero, absolutely impossible. I've seen everything from a week to two years. The most important thing really is to, to have, to have a plan, to stick to a plan and to believe that you're doing the right thing or to help to get help to do the right thing when you think that you are hitting a plateau because often the plateau is not this dead end plateau or this plateau where nothing's moving it's just that you actually have to train handstands you have to improve things but not just the technique the coordination but also your muscles have to get stronger all of this has to happen at the same time and sometimes you just at the working period where you need for like for 10 or 12 weeks really just just to build to get better 
I agree with you that it is impossible to answer that question, but it's also the most searched for question when people want to learn handstands. But what you said there was perfect in the sense that you need to be aware that it is a process and having that, I guess, objective feedback to a subjective practice being handstands is ideal. So filming yourself, you're going to see those small improvements in your technique. You're going to see things improving in terms of time as well. Whereas, as you said, if you're just doing handstand, the sessions can all start to feel very similar and plateauing. And it's very easy to get distracted. Yeah. Because you come down, you're tired. Oh, look, that's my TikTok. Oh, now I've been sitting here for 20 minutes. I'm cold. Now I'll go home. I'll do it tomorrow. Um, but filming is actually a, a really good thing about how you can actually film yourself when you're training handstands. Like a lot of people will film themselves and then kind of look at it and compare this video to this video. And that's of course a great way, but you can make this filming so much more efficient because one big problem with handstands is that you will do one thing, but you'll do something and you think that it looks like a certain thing, but it really doesn't. It just feels like your leg is perfectly straight up. Well, it feels like your leg is perfectly straight out to the side. Most of the time it's not. Like I've been hand balancing for, well, 23 years. And when we do choreography work for a new act or for a new show, like I'll say, yeah, that was perfect. I nailed it. And then I'll see the video and like, it's really not what I would like it to be. Um, so what really helps is that if you, you put your phone up to the side, you do your set, you record it, and you stop the video. And now before you look the video back, you're actually going to get a clear image in your head of what, you, what you're expecting to see right now. I am sure that my leg was perfectly up. The first one was perfectly up. The second one was perfectly up. The third one was a little bit towards the back. The fourth one was perfectly up again. And then you're going to compare this mental image to what you filmed. And you're going to see a massive difference. And then you're going to say, okay, that and this is really not the same thing. When I think my leg's perfectly up, it's actually like 45 degrees towards the wall. So let me do this again. But this time I'm going to try to bring my leg 45 degrees towards the back. So way too far over. Let me film this. And you're going to see, hey, wait a minute. What feels like 45 degrees towards the back is actually perfectly straight up. And like this, you can reprogram, you can relearn how your body functions upside down. And every single person is going to have to do this. I, I, am, I know for a fact that there's almost no one besides maybe highly professional ballet dancers who are able to feel their body upside down the way where it actually is. You need to relearn this. And relearning this will help you so much to then do things right. Because you know that in order to do your kick-up, your leg needs to go straight up. Well, if you don't even know what straight up feels like, how do you expect it to do it without the wall? I like this internal assessment before you have the visual feedback with handstands to get a sense of what your body is doing because it's comparable to when we're at school. We would have questions on a test and we would answer the question and then we'd see the proper answers afterwards. Same process with handstand, doing that internal evaluation before you go to the video. Yeah, maybe school wasn't that stupid after all. Today's sponsor for the show is Fitness FAQs. Use the coupon code PODCAST10 to save 10% at checkout when shopping on fitnessfaqs.com. Enjoy the discount and let's get back to the conversation. What does a comprehensive workout look like for handstands from beginning to end? It depends a little bit how much time you have. I would say there's two separate types of workouts that you can do. You're going to do a general warm-up. I like to run outside for eight minutes if it's a lot, if weather allows it, or a bit of rope skipping. Any kind of cardiovascular activity that's just going to get the blood run to get you a bit warm. Some very light stretches. You ran, you might as well stretch for two minutes afterwards. Prehab exercises. Most important thing. If you don't have time to train, if you only have 10 minutes to train, just do your prehab exercises. Forget everything else. Like, be responsible. Prehab exercises for the shoulders. They can be with the elastic. Um, the most common exercises are perfect here. If your form is right, they're going to be golden. There are a couple of Hanson-specific shoulder prehab exercises that are basically the same exercises, just with a slight variation that I like to ask people to do. Um, they're going to help with injury prevention, with general warm-up, but they're also already going to help with the exact alignment of the shoulder with opening the shoulders in the direction that we want. These active, um, these activation drills that we spoke about earlier. Pre-up exercises for the wrists, of course, you got to get some blood going there. If needed, 
At this point, you're going to do a bit of shoulder stretches and more specific shoulder activation opening work. That's very big if needed. If you don't need this, you can brush over this. If you need it, that's what you're going to have to do. From there, shoulders are warm, wrists are warm. You don't really need to warm up your core that much because handstand is not as much about the core as people think. I like to include a little bit of core work, but it's mainly also because I hope that my abs will shizzle through, but not that really not that essential unless of course you have a your, you have a very flexible back then you're going to do some plank work and these kind of things just to activate your core muscles most people don't actually need that especially if they're already somewhat fit and from that you're really going to get straight away into your handstand training um most of the people are going to 95 percent of the people are going to start warming up at the wall many are going to stay at the wall some are going to come off the wall again depending on your level you're going to do most of your training drills that you're pretty good at. So things that actually work quite well. Again, to have this actual effect of training and not just of falling. Towards the end of your training, before you're super tired, you want to start incorporating drills that are basically a bit more risky, things that don't work well just yet. Um, because at this point, your body is really, really nice and warm, but especially your feeling for upside down balance, your awareness, your coordination is nice and warm. Your brain is ready to focus. You've gotten into the focus. So you're able to do things that are, that are risky that you cannot do yet. So you work on new things. This whole handstand section, depending again, how advanced you are, is going to take you probably around 30 minutes. And then the, uh, if you have the time, the last 10, 15 minutes, you're going to, you're going to do, or 10 minutes, you're going to focus a bit more on conditioning. Um, this could be a handstand, handstand push-up progressions are a great choice here because, of course, the better you are at a handstand push-up, the less likely it is that you fall out of your handstand. If you're falling out of your handstand but you can do a handstand push-up, then you didn't fall out of your handstand. So building the strength for the handstand push-up is, is great. Um, you're going to do a bit of planche work, so straight-arm work, mainly because you're probably planning to learn a press-to-handstand and these kind of things. And you can finish with compression work if that's something that you're actually interested in. At the end, some light counter stretches as some cool down, down work. Of course, you should take those five minutes. You should just like with the warm up, you want to be responsible here. This would take you around 45 minutes, I would say. If you have the time, the motivation, and especially the reasoner, you can also pull these workout sessions for two to three hours. I have clients who train for two and a half hours because what they would do is they would warm up. They would do, um, they would do a good warm up. So they actually start to sweat. Then you do 30 to 45 to even one hour of stretching front splits hip openers, middle splits. The more flexible your hamstrings are, the easier your kick up the handstand is, obviously. Um, the more flexible your lower back and the hamstrings are, the easier your, your press the handstand is going to be. Instead of having to like jump up, you can literally step up into a handstand. Well, if every if you can step up into a handstand, every single mount is going to be consistent. So your freestanding handstand training obviously becomes significantly more efficient because this worry of, am I going to make it up this time or I have to focus on my mount? Well, it just disappeared because you're stepping onto your hands. All handstand work, the more flexible you are, if you have the muscle to support it, the more flexible you are, the easier everything becomes. You don't need much strength anymore. So starting your handstand session with like a full hour of good flexibility training, very useful. Of course, not flexible in the shoulders, but the legs, possibly the back, depending on how flexible you are. Then you do your actual handstand training session, technical handstands. You could do your handstand conditioning. And at the end, you could even stretch your back and do your handstand Mexican, your hollow back, back work before you then do all of your cool downs. That would be a very, very long training session, two, two and a half hours. But you trained your starter presses to handstand. You trained your, your one-arm handstands. You really did like everything you could do in handstands. You will do this maybe three times a week. You wouldn't. You wouldn't want to do this every day because you're not going to stretch intensely every day. You're not going to work, especially hollow backs and these kind of things. You're not going to work every day. For the handstand part of the workout, what's the sweet spot for the number of exercises or drills to do? If you're someone who's able to, to stay focused during training for a long time, you can do more different exercises. If you have quite a bit of coordination, you might do handstand exercises from like different focus categories, say L handstand leg isolations where one leg moves or and tuck slides. They, they're both handstand exercises, but in a way they require different things from your body. If you're able to coordinate and to stay focused, you can do them all in one session. If focusing on these kind of things is very difficult for you because you're just starting out with, with body weight training, with any kind of gymnastics like training, then you might actually just focus on one category of exercises. So today I'm going to do anything tuck slide related. And then tomorrow I'm going to do 
anything kick up training related, like all the different drills towards this and you separate them. So one person might have the best results by practicing these two exercises on Monday and then the next two exercises on Tuesday. And someone else is going to have the best results of training everything every single day. I was the kind of guy I had to train everything every single day. When I was neglecting a type of exercise, especially when it came to one arm handstands for more than a day, I would feel like I'm starting back from zero. But if I would just touch base with everything every single day, I was able to build up on top of it every single day. Most people who train handstands are like this. I would say 95% again, but I've had a handful of clients who really needed to, who needed to focus on one type of drill per workout and who saw outstanding results. They would do this kind of drill one time per week, every day, different one. And they would see just as much results as other people. But again, you need to get to know your own body. You need to get to know your own mind. You need to learn what's best for you, what works best for you. Like the brain is a fascinating thing. Everybody's brain works differently. And once you understand how your brain and body works, you can make this to your, to your own advantage. I feel what frustrates many people that are new to handstands is there is no clear cut. How can people go about better understanding when is enough? Like what signs and symptoms should people be looking for that their handstand training is enough, that they're succeeding? The answer here, if you want to get as good as you can possibly get, the answer is very simple. You need to train as much as you humanly can without doing too much. You want to do as much as you can without physically getting injured, without physically burning out, and very importantly, without mentally burning out. Handstands is a slow grind, and it's, you're only going to grind as long as you love it. The moment that you don't like it anymore, you're not going to get better at it. Better at it. Look at it like a like Super Mario, this old video, or any video game. If you enjoy the game, you're going to go forward, you're going to go through. But the moment that you like step for half an hour, an hour, and it's kind of not so cool anymore, the game disappears for you straight away. Same with handstands. It doesn't help you if you're motivated today or this week and you start like training three, four hours every single day. And the next week you're like, no, I kind of don't want to do it anymore. And then two weeks later, you start training like crazy again. No, you need to find how much can you possibly train consistently while staying physically and mentally healthy. And that's as much as good as you can get. How would you define the optimal way to learn a handstand? The optimal way to learn a handstand is to, to from the very start, just focus on these few technical aspects that are so very essential. Um, lock your elbows, turn your hands towards the front, have your hands around shoulder with a part possibly a little bit wider, not more narrow. Really important, look at your hands, um, elevate your scapula, like literally things that if you, I mean, you understand anatomy obviously significantly better than me, but it's literally things that, you look at the hands and says, this is healthy and this is not healthy, right? Um, like, for example, the shoulders, you want to push out tall from your shoulders and stand on your muscles and not on your joints. Um, and then there's a couple things when it comes to training, how you can build good versus bad habits. Um, training with your back towards the wall is not a great way of learning to handstand. You're going to build bad habits. You're working on a bad form. You're not going to get over the fact that you might be scared of handstands. Should you never, ever train with the back to the wall? I think you should not, um, but that's a very extremist um, view of me. I know that a lot of people disagree with that. Um, if you're training with me in person, I, under my supervision, you could probably train with your back against the wall without doing many mistakes. But if you're training by yourself, back against the wall, there's many, many mistakes that you can make and that will just become normal for you without even really being aware of it. So training only chest to the wall, spending most of your time at the wall, blah, and blah. It's all of these kind of boring things, but it will just make your handstand so much more efficient and healthier and stronger and more stable in the long run that we shouldn't be discussing these things, right? Yeah, thanks for your answer for clarifying that because I just wanted the people that are listening to understand what are the key things they can focus on as you describe with technique using the chest to wall, and then it allows them the freedom to explore how much they do, how frequently they train their handstand. That can depend for every individual, as you just said, but I really like that you highlighted the success underpinning a handstand. These technique points, everyone agrees, that's the most efficient, optimal way to do it, and then take care of the rest of your training individually. Yeah, 
Bad balance days are something that everyone experiences when training handstand. How do you deal with them? Mm, train at the wall, forget the balance. <laughs> um, how do you deal with bad balance days? Um, I think that there's two things to keep in mind here. The first one is analyze why do you have a bad balance day? Like we don't just have bad balance days. I don't necessarily believe in luck, especially when it comes to like physical performance. Um, why is your balance off today? Did you get drunk last night? Like, are you just hungover? Um, do you have food poisoning? Did you in general eat something that maybe um, in, made you feel different? Um, did you not sleep enough? Did you have a stressful day at work? Um, was it really wobbly on the bus coming to the training to your workout and you're still kind of feeling wobbly from this? Did you have way too much sugar? Did you drink too much coffee on your jittery? Like, Usually there's a reason why you're going to have a bad balance day. If you're able to isolate this reasoner, then this will allow you two things. Number one, to cut this reason out fully and to never have bad balance days again, or at least to know, hey, on Wednesday, I'm going to have a bad balance day, but that's part of the game. So how, how good can I be on a bad balance day? But if you go into the gym knowing it's going to be a bad balance day, with the mindset of let's see how good I can do on a bad balance day because next time I teach a workshop or next time when I want to show up show up at the club in front of the girls, it might be a bad balance day. Um, so let me see how good I can be on a bad balance day. Or, of course, try to cut whatever this thing that makes your balance bad out or simply decide you don't want to train on that day. If I know that every Thursday is a bad balance day because every Wednesday night I go out to the, to the clubs or whatever, um, then just don't train on Thursday. Move your schedule around or you train handsets only on the good balance days. Now, if you're at the gym and you're having a bad balance day, but you still want to train, um, what can you do? Again, I would say um, do less, do less difficult things. Say um, we have handstand skills at a level from 1 to 10 or whatever. And usually you're training skills at level 7. You have a bad balance day, skills at level 7 don't work. So why don't we focus on skills on level 4, but we do them perfectly. Do easier things, but maybe with a little twist to them. Like, see if you find stuff that always works and make that a little bit more difficult. That could be something challenging. Um, often, bad balance days are actually not bad balance days. Often, bad balance days are just kind of bad getting up into the handstand days. Most of the time, the problem is really like, on a bad day, you just cannot get up. So, okay, go to the wall, chest to wall, as far away as you can from the wall, basically, with like an L handstand, but you have one foot extended out, one hip height against the wall, the other one straight up. Take the foot off the wall. Take the jumping into the handstand out. So you can just do freestanding handstands at the wall, and you can still practice all of your drills and everything. Um, it's important to learn to not let a bad balance day hold you back because if you don't understand why you have a bad balance day, you don't know how many more there are going to be. So learn to make the most out of it. Um, for a personal story, Every Monday used to be a bad balance day for me, and that's not because we went out clubbing, simply because if I took one day off from handstands, I felt like it took me like two hours to get back into it. It was so difficult. Um, I had bad balance days probably the first like eight years of training handstands or training and performing handstands. Now I've done my first one-arm handstand 14 years ago. Like during COVID, I took like almost a year off of going from my on my hands on the second on the first training back after a year, hundred percent of my handstands were back. Like it gets better. Bad balance days don't happen anymore after many, many years, and you're gonna be just always good at handstands. But of course, for this you need to train an unrealistically big amount, which I did. That mentality is really healthy. Having the awareness to look at it as an assessment, like you said, with the different lifestyle components which could affect your balance but then also humbling yourself to be like okay me doing easier movements is still going to benefit me in the long term well i mean especially like if you could imagine it differently let's say if you're having a bad balance day that's kind of just like a regular day but with higher difficulty so if on this bad balance day you can take a skill that's not quite as difficult for you and you can do it well then once you have a good balance day again, this skill that was easy before is now real easy because you know that you can do it when you're drunk, basically. Yeah, I just I just say that with... Two handstands. Sorry, go on. My bad. Oh, I was going to say the mental approach when it comes to handstand is very, very big. Um, different athletes respond differently to it. Um, I don't hand balance well under pressure, especially not 
early on in my career. Now it's not as big of a deal anymore because I'm much better at believing in myself. But if you're going up to a set in front of people or by yourself and you think, oh, damn, I don't know if I can make this. I'm nervous. It's not going to work. That's like when you're driving a car and you have to go like drive around something on the street. If you stare at it while driving around it to make sure you don't touch it, you're probably going to touch it. But if you imagine the way that you want to go with your car, you're not going to hit it. Same thing in handstands. As soon as you like psych yourself out saying, oh, shit, I'm not sure if I can make this. This makes me nervous. This is difficult. Chances are it's not going to work. But if you train on a bad balance day and you make things work on your bad balance day, then when next time you get to the gym and it's a good balance day, like you don't even think about those skills. You know they work. And that's, that's seen, where you want to be at. I've just seen the mentality of the average person for a bad balance day gets frustrated and they just keep kicking up unsuccessfully, unsuccessfully, attempt, attempt, bad habits. That's the common thing. Useless. Not going to help. That's like me earlier today, my smoke detector in the kitchen kept on beeping and I just kept on taking the battery out and turning it around be like, maybe I put it in the wrong way. And after like half an hour, I was like, no, I think it's, it's a bad balance day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What are the benefits of lifting weights for someone that wants to do handstands? Oh, don't do it. Like, why, why, why would you lift weights? That's the worst idea that you can possibly... If you want to be good at handstands, meaning you want to, like, I don't know, if you want to perform, if you want to learn one-arm handstands and stuff, every single weight you lift, unless you have, like, basically a disability, an injury, it's, it's going to make things way harder. Like, lifting weights makes your body heavy. Obviously, you're building muscle. Muscle is heavy. That muscle you have to lift on in a handstand later, massive disadvantage. Um, plus, the heavier the weights are, the more your joints get banged up. I mean, the more pain you're going to be in, Hanson itself is pain. Pain plus pain is something that you don't want to have. Um, so, yeah, if you want to get good at handstands, there's no reason you should lift weights. Um, that being said, to a smaller, I mean, you need to stay well balanced with your routine. All of your um, handstand training is a very one-sided pressure on your body, which means you need to find a way to keep your body well, keep your body balanced and not just including pulling work, you're still going to have to do pushing work and even with your shoulders because, again, you, in a handstand, your shoulders are overhead. That's a static position. You're not moving through any kind of range. So you need to somehow find a way to keep your body balanced. Now, weight training is a great approach to this. Um, any dude similar to me, it's probably not a good idea because you're going to start training weights and you're going to use a little bit more weights in every training. You're going to get bigger and that's going to be kind of productive for your handstand training. But you still have to find a way to stay balanced. And weights are a good way to, on a calculated level, stay very balanced. The argument could be, hey, for my back work, I'm going to go swimming. Um, for my pushing, or I'm going to go climbing. It's a good example. I'm going to go climbing. Climbing is it's a, a great workout. I mean, so is swimming. But it's very obviously pulling, right? Um, it's still not equal. It's still not even through your body, and it's still not a very um, calculatable load. If you're climbing a different track every day, you're pulling a little bit differently with your back. The volume, the amount gets different every day. So if you're really focusing on handstands and you're just doing additional sports to keep your body well-balanced, weights make sense because it's extremely measurable and extremely cal calculatable. You can really do just the bare minimum to keep your body perfectly healthy. Um, but this wouldn't work for me because I have a massive ego and I want to look good when I'm naked. So as soon as I start picking up weights, I see Arnold in the mirror and I'm like, yeah, I'll be back, you know? So when it came to me, the weight training that I've done my entire life was extremely counterproductive, but it also helped me in an extent to stay healthier than many other hand balance. I could do much more dynamic and much more impactful skills without completely falling apart. What exercises did you do or still do to keep your body healthy and perform at the highest level? Me um, and really anybody that I know from an athletic or a performance level, what we all realize is it's not even the older you get, but the more that you perform, the more shows you do, the harder you, you perform, the more physio exercises you do. And so it doesn't, really, it doesn't depend at all at how old you are 
Um, it really just depends how intense or how healthy, but how intense is the, the pressure that goes on your body. So when I was doing a lot of shows, so between 10 and 20 shows a week, which it's a lot, a lot, I'm aware of that. Um, I was spending like two hours a day working on like these small, super boring exercises. At some points I was very lucky because I was, for example, at Cirque du Soleil where I would have like a dude backstage with me 20 minutes a day would just make sure that I do these physio exercises, these boring, repetitive exercises that were just essential to hold my body together. A lot of rotator cuff stuff? Was it, so what's that? Was it a lot of rotator cuff stuff, like shoulder-specific? or? Yeah, or, rotator yeah. cuffs. Um, rotator cuffs, in my case, luckily it was not as much rotator stuff for me because my rotator cuffs, my shoulders were always super healthy, knocking on wood. For me, it was a lot of back from all the side bending, the back bending in handstands because I'm not flex, not naturally that flexible. Um, my hips to my labrums, these kind of things from all this extreme overstretching. Again, I'm not naturally that flexible, so it was a lot of hard work for me. I had to do a lot of work for that. Um, but then you have other performers, and I was rarely on. I was thankfully only very rarely at this point that we wake up in the morning, basically go to the bathtub, take a hot bath come out of the bath and then do an hour or two hours of just Pilates and like physiotherapy exercises on the floor before you're even able to go and get your breakfast because you're in that much pain. Um, that's extreme cases and nobody should ever be there. Like we're just, we would like, we just, we didn't necessarily see that at the time because we were like chasing this, this greater thing inside of us and for the world to, you know, do these 10 shows a week and do this for the audience who's drunk and doesn't really care, but we didn't see it at the time. Right. But if you're that damaged from the sport that you're doing, you obviously shouldn't shouldn't do it that way. Um, but it is it is typical. The more intensity you put in your body, the more you're gonna have to work to keep your body healthy. What do you look out for in terms of signs or symptoms to look after your recovery? I mean, my body is very good at that. As soon as well, one good thing is that even now that I perform a lot less and I don't basically need to do two hours of exercises every morning to be able to walk, I still start every single training. And I've done this since I was five years old because my coach is basically beating me to do that. I start every single training with 10 to 15 minutes of rotator cuff exercises, hip exercises, back exercises, this and this and this. Just to basically, it's like brushing your teeth. You know, I just, I, I just do it. I just get it out of the way. And I believe in science is going to agree with me. That's going to help keep me healthy. But especially what this is going to help, if I do external rotation of my rotator cuff and I can feel a pinch or a pain, I know straight away that there's something wrong there. That's a pain that you're not going to feel if you just randomly go through your day and do your training. But by kind of touching base with all of these different categories of like small physiotherapy exercises, you basically, you kind of get in tune with all of your joints and everything and you see if there's a small injury lurking somewhere Something that's just going to need a little bit more attention because a lot of these injuries that are not acute, so like from like tripping or something, um, these overload injuries, you can catch them really early on and then reduce intensity a little bit, do more stabilization work and often like work around these injuries. You don't have to stop training. You don't actually get injured, but this is only possible if you pay attention, if you do these small exercises. So that is one way that has always been really helpful for me and that still works really well for me. Um, besides that, I mean, my body gets in pain quite easily. So for example, if I feel this in my shoulder during warm up and I ignore it two days later, I'm going to feel it like outside of training when I'm cold or something. So for this, my body is really, really good. But of course I try not to get to the point that I feel something outside of training. Like at that point, I'm like, damn, oh my God. Right. <laughs> Is it possible to have no pain, no discomfort at all when you get to a high level of strength, balance, and skill? Are you talking athletic performance in general or for hand balancing? Just for someone that gets to a high level in their chosen field, is the idea of no pain and complete comfort, is that even possible? It's a difficult question. Um, I would say that I... I don't know any like high, high level hand balancer who doesn't basically cry themselves to sleep because their body hurts. Um, hand balancing is hard. It's, it is not easy, right? Um, this constant side bending and everything, your arms are not as big as your legs. And even if you were just doing these in big cram, you got these side bends like for two hours, your back is going to really hurt. And that's basically what hand balancing is. So I think high level handstands hurt pretty much anyone. 
that being said, um, the last show that I did, we were doing 20 days straight with two days off in the middle. So like eight days, a day off, eight days, a day off, and then three days or something. Every day we did two shows, and in every show I did two solo acts, right? So I, I basically did four shows a day for 20 days straight. It was super rough. Um, but I was experience-wise and physical training-wise at a point where I had done these particular performances never very high level. Like I did all the tricks that I do. Like I said earlier, I have a big ego, and I need to show what I got, you know? Um I did everything, but I had done everything for almost 10 years now. So I was not I was not in pain doing those shows. For me, those shows were super easy. It was quite comfortable. I got lucky because nothing went wrong. I didn't catch a cold. I didn't nothing bad happened that would throw me out of the rhythm, but I stayed in the rhythm and I didn't have pain. Um I never had this before, right? If you're still building, if you have to work to maintain, you're gonna be uncomfortable. Training is bitter, they used to say, you know, like Training is hard. It's not, it doesn't come easy to anyone. Everyone struggles with something. And so, no, I don't think that there's high level athletes who don't have pain. Um, if you have a high level athlete who doesn't have pain, two things happened. Either he didn't push hard enough at all. So he's not improving and he's probably not maintaining. Or he found this like, this golden point of how much can he push? How much does he need to recover that really just everything is perfect? This might happen in like a career of five years. It might happen for a week or two. Awesome. Analyze. Try to hold on to it. Maybe 20 years from now, we're going to be able to measure the body better and we're going to understand better how much pressure we can put into the body to not have pain. Because if you are in pain, you're going to sleep less good. You might eat less good. You your body is busy taking care of the pain. So the body cannot take care of proper recovery and building. Um, because you don't sleep as well, for example. So you don't want to be in this pain, but an athlete who's never ever in any kind of pain is not going to be able to compete with the athletes who are constantly pushing their body to pain. In terms of when you reach that point of pain or discomfort, it's all relative to the threshold that you've built. So for a elite level hand balancer to do a, an hour hand balancing workout with skills that they can do means nothing. Whereas if they did a really, really long drawn out performance period daily after day then that would exceed their threshold so it's all relative to your level it's all relative absolutely handstand push-ups are a strength exercise that once someone learns how to handstand they often want to unlock in the future how do you go about teaching people to do this successfully how would i go about teaching someone to handstand push-up i mean i would basically keep that training almost in two separate things you're going to have a technical handstand training where you learn to handstand, where you improve your handstands. Unless your handstand is already very good, then you might not do this if it's not something that interests you. But most people are going to have to improve their handstand. So that's going to be the longer training session. And then you're going to do your strength training for the handstand push-up. Now, luckily, the handstand push-up is pretty straightforward. It doesn't require much technique. Like a press to handstand, for example, is technically, coordination-wise, very difficult. That's going to take serious work. A handstand push-up is kind of just like an overhead press. It's much easier. Um, so you're going to do, in an ideal world, you're going to train three times a week. You're going to do your handstand training first. Your static handstand training can last from 15 to 45 minutes, whatever, how much time you want to invest. And at the end, you're going to do your handstand push-up specific training, um, your current handstand push-up progression, um, and maybe some assistance work. I would try to keep all of this body weight focused. And then you're at the gym already. You're already training. You're doing this three times a week. So it would probably be really smart to include all of your other pushing work into this as well. Because if you're doing hands to push up three times a week, theoretically, you're not going to be able to do pushing work on any of the other days because then you're not respecting your body anymore when it comes to recovery. It gets difficult, right? So let's say you're going to do your hands to push up specific training and then maybe you'll do, you could do some planche training. Um, you could do a couple dips, and if you want, you can even include your weight training there into the push direction. That's what I would recommend to people um, to do it, yeah. Um, if this seems like a lot, you could also just do, like if you only train three times a week, then you could, for example, again, do your handstand training first, and then do your full gym routine, and you just replace everything that's up 
overhead pushing with handstand push-up progressions and you do those first in your strength training, first in your strength cycle. So let's say you're a bodybuilder, um, the handstand push-up is going to be difficult for you, obviously, because you have very different muscles, but you might be able to take those six sets of military press or similar exercises that you do three times a week, cut them in half, you do three times body weight progressions, and right after, or in general afterwards, you do your weight overhead pushing, the Arnold press, the C press, the military press, whatever you choose there. Um, just important is that you do all of this weight training, even if it's pulling work, you want to do it after your body weight training. You want to do it after your pike push-up, L hands and push-up, whatever hands push-up progression you're at. And then when it comes to the real handstand push-up progression, um, I wouldn't make it more difficult than it needs to be, right? Let's say your goal is to do a 100-kilogram overhead push or whatever, like a really heavy military press. Um, you wouldn't make this too difficult either unless you teach your training with a professional like Olympic lifting coach. You're basically just going to slowly over time add more weight to the bar. Um, putting a lot of additional exercises into this plan is going to make things more difficult and more complicated than they will probably be successful for you. If you have a really good coach who can put this all together for you, who can watch you, who can monitor your progress, your energy levels and stuff, we can help out. We can make it a little bit more efficient, but big picture, you want to get good at overhead press. You just add a little bit of weight to overhead pressing every week, every month, every training period, however you structure your training. For the handstand push-up, I would do it similar. You start with your feet on the floor and then you put your feet on a small stool, then on a bench and you just slowly increase the weight that you put onto your hands by lifting your feet higher up. Eventually you're back to the wall, and then your chest to the wall. You just constantly want to focus on on keeping this um, protraction. You want to, on top, of course, when your elbows are locked, you want to elevate your scapula. During the handstand push-up, you want to not let your shoulders completely fall, but allow your scapula to, to, to slide naturally what it wants to do. Just make sure your shoulder blades don't stick out in the back. Always focus on this protection, protraction to protect your shoulders, but also to protect your form so you don't end up doing a handstand push-up with an arch back. Um, it's ugly, and it's just not what you what you invested your time for. And you could potentially injure yourself because you're pushing with a very arched back. Um, you wouldn't do this in an overhead press either. And that's really it, especially with a time when you're just building strength. I wouldn't I wouldn't make it more difficult than that. Great parallel that you made with how you progress an overhead press with weights to how you do it with a, a body weight exercise. The progression's the same, keeping it simple regressing in order to progress and eventually you'll unlock the handstand push-up coach thank you so much for your time it was a pleasure chatting on the fitness faqs podcast where can people find out more about your work if they want to follow you the best point the best spot to find me really is is, um, is on instagram the coach bachman on instagram we post um almost every day we do little stories we do posts we do reels we try to do all of this head over to coachbachman.com or take one of the plenty of links on instagram thanks everyone for listening visit fitnessfaqs.com to master calisthenics and become a bodyweight pro